0: Hi there, Uh, I am Harry Tungal, you're listening to The Daily Californian's second installment on its Game of Thrones coverage.
1: Uh, So I'm Shannon O'Hara, so we watched the premiere episode on Sunday, we have a lot of thoughts about it, and we kind of just want to walk through those and tell y'all a little bit about how we feel, how we see some of y'all feel up on the internet, um, and gear up for the next episode.
0: Yeah, and uh, we're going to do a little line-by-line show recap, Um, we're just going to like, Uh, read uh, the plot summary via Wikipedia, in addition to some of our additions to the plot summary and just kind of give our thoughts and reactions and um, what we want to see from the future. But uh, before we get into that, um, there's been some really interesting Berkeley-adjacent Game of Thrones things kind of happening around on campus.
1: Yeah, so Harry and I are huge nerds. So on Cal Day, um, which is our like big picnic day, all the alumni or the newly-admitted students come through, um, there was actually a guest speaker. Um, his name was David Peterson. He's a UC Berkeley alum. He studied linguistics. And he actually is the guy who wrote Dothraki and High Valerian for Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah, um, there's a community of linguists uh, who create constructed languages or conlangs. Um, and he's one of them, and he's worked on like Thor: The Dark World, um, some other pretty high-profile projects, Doctor Strange, Strange, yeah, a lot of Marvel, um, uh, Warcraft, the Warcraft movie, a bunch of other stuff. Um, it was really fascinating talk. Um, I learned that Star Wars is actually terrible in their conlangs that they uh, he um, David Peterson mentioned how in uh, Return of the Jedi there's the scene where. Um, there's an alien speaking in an alien language and uh, the same exact word is used to mean completely two different things. Um, so that's fun.
1: Yeah, so it was just really weird because I think when people speak these constructed languages on shows, we tend to gloss over it, not really listen, we just read the subtitles, but the amount of like intricate thought that David Peterson was putting into the grammar and the syntax. and. Um, thinking about how words might phonetically sound similar such that you might use the wrong one if you're a non-native speaker. Um, All this detail was really fascinating and afterward Harry and I left and we both took pictures on um, a replica of the Iron Throne. Um, So if you want to know how the season ends it does end with me and Harry on the Iron Throne.
0: Spoilers. Do do you think we'd share the throne or like would one of us kill the other to like wield soul power. Like how do you think that would go?
1: I think you and I get along pretty well. So, I th- I want I would be down to share the throne with you, but um, you know, if you start doing things that I don't like, I will off you.
0: I accept that. <laughs> um, yeah. We're 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 all for productive leadership. Yeah. Anyway, spoilers for the end of Game of Thrones, Shannon and I end up on the throne. Yeah. All right
1: but let's talk about the new episode. Um, So it opens up with a new title sequence, which was so exciting. Uh, The music's the same, it was super cool to listen to, but we kind of see a more intricate look at Westeros rather than just kind of this broad landscape feel. We're going inside structures, into buildings, into cities, and getting a bit more of like an intricate look of some of the um, places where scenes will be set this season, which I thought was really cool.
0: Yeah, Uh, notably there is the giant gaping hole in the wall, um, and this kind of sets the tone. It kind of almost reminds me of the way that like the Marvel movies recently kind of like the Marvel logo like turns yeah. to dust, and like it's like oh my god, this existential yeah. threat that like <laughs> immediately faces you.
1: Yeah. Speaking of the wall coming down, like I feel like I saw nothing on the internet about people being concerned about that, which just a little weird. Come on, y'all! Like that's, the world that's is about to end,
0: um, and people don't seem super concerned about it. We
1: get it, people are more concerned about incest, but I think the wall coming down is a big deal and we should all be afraid, even if we knew it was coming.
0: I agree. Um, To quote Jonathan Van Ness from Gay of Thrones, um, the wall is down, there's a woman on the throne, and that's the America I want to live in. (laughs) Um, Anyway, um, just kind of kicking it off with our line-by-line recap. Again, this is via Wikipedia with some of our own additions. Um, here we go. Upon returning to Winterfell with their armies, Jon and Daenerys learn that the White Walkers have broken through the wall with Daenerys's undead dragon, Viserion. In response, the Northern Lords and their allies rally around Winterfell, though all are suspicious of Daenerys and doubt the promised Lannister reinforcements.
1: So, kind of what we were expecting in the opening sequence of this episode. One detail that I read online that I thought was cool is Daenerys' um, introductory line to Sansa. Um, kind of talking about how she's heard a lot about her and how beautiful she is, um, is very similar to Cersei's opening line to Sansa back in season one. Um, and maybe they're trying to draw an interesting comparison between Cersei and Danny. Um, that's something that I would be interested in seeing. I think their parallel is kind of an underrated one um, in terms of how we think about characters being very similar to each other,
0: but yeah, so that was cool. Yeah, um, speaking of parallels, um, uh but a ton of parallels between this yeah. first episode of season eight and the first episode of season one. Um, there's that, we open with uh, the kid kind of pushing his way through the crowd and then climbing up uh, the tree to see the thousands of Unsullied and Dothraki armies bar- uh, marching into um, Winterfell. And uh, very kind of striking parallel with Bran climbing up um, a tower to kind of view uh, the incoming Baratheons and Lannisters uh, in that very first uh, episode of the show. Well, um, a, a few more parallels that are a little more significant that we can kind of get to yeah, later on. We'll but those. Um, yeah, it's coming around full circle, which is, uh, yeah, fascinating to watch.
1: Yeah, a small detail we liked also in this opening sequence um, where they're in the hall and they're all meeting and they're talking is people are really concerned about how they're going to feed all these new armies <laughs> and the dragons and that seems like something in the last season when there's all this kind of crap going on like we really shouldn't care um, there seems to be bigger and better things to be thinking about but it's a practical concern <laughs>
0: I think with my stomach so yeah. <laughs> I mean I relate um,
1: yeah, which makes sense given this was a something that you predicted actually. Would yeah,
0: place. I honestly don't remember if it was me or if it was someone else in our like little screenwriting uh, group. For those of you who are new to the show, um, I was in a screenwriting class where uh, me and several of the screenwriters had to like write a spec script for the first episode of season eight. Um, and one of our predictions was uh, <laughs> that it was going to be a concern of the North how to clothe a bunch of shivering Dothraki and Unsullied and how to feed uh, two grown dragons. So that was kind of cool.
1: I'm interested to see if they kind of follow the thread or if it ends up being a bit of a throwaway line. I feel like it's something that has come up in scenes in the North before where they're like, we don't have enough food. And several months later, everyone is still there. So I'm I'm interested to see if that ends up even becoming a thing because I almost doubt that it will.
0: It's uh, HBO catering. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do dragons eat anything? Um, whatever they want. Whatever they want. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, Sansa, uh, next up, uh, just going chronologically in the episode, Sansa and Tyrion meet for the very first time since Joffrey's wedding, and Sansa calls out Tyrion for naively believing that Cersei is sending an army.
1: Yeah, I thought this was interesting, pitting um, together the characters who have traditionally been portrayed as kind of the two smartest on the show, especially... As of late, there's a lot of talk in this episode about Sansa being the smartest character and um, being the one that you should watch out for in terms of all the strategy that's taking place, um, all the power grabbing. Um, I think there's a little bit of a... I'm a little bit confused about it. I mean, Jon even brings it up where he says Sansa feels like she knows everything. And I almost wonder if he's right about that. But um, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, there's... um in kind of like the power rankings of who people think should end up on the throne Sansa kind of comes up a lot Um, she kind of seems to be the one uh, I mean she's running the show she's been running the show she's just trying to like finally get her credit Um, you know it'll be interesting to see how that like works out Um, something that people have raised um, kind of in the weeks leading up to this premiere and also uh, right after is how Tyrion fits in a show that's Kind of moved away from um, the political, palace
1: intrigue, yeah,
0: political squabbling, the things that Tyrion's good at. Um, so you have some feelings on how this, like, yeah, this issue. I
1: I don't really like this point. Um, two reasons: one, I wouldn't be surprised if at the end we find out that Tyrion like had this big grand scheme all along. Um, but also, I don't really like writing him off as an irrelevant character just because it's a lot more of this big grand spectacle of violence versus these little um yeah like I said pal's intrigue dramas um because I think his arc is so much more than just being like this clever strategist there's so much we need to wrap up and get closure on as it relates to his relationship with Cersei and Jaime um and the role he will play and what fingers crossed we're hoping will be Cersei's final demise um so yeah I will definitely stand by Tyrion on this one I think he has a lot to offer this last season
0: yeah and I think it's a it's just the show kind of like finding its footing, I think. Um, people kind of say that, like, uh, you know, it's Tyrion's made several bad decisions in season seven, kind of in vain, uh, the incursion into Winterfell wasn't a huge, huge success for Dany, Um, And people kind of uh, point the finger at Tyrion. But I suppose if we're being generous, I mean, the show's just figuring out um, how to deal with itself and it's, it may be growing pains, and hopefully with two years off in between season seven season eight, uh, the showrunners might have something better in mind for Tyrion, like you said. Yeah. yeah.
1: It does, like, this first episode was a little underwhelming. I mean, he does just make a lot of eunuch jokes, and um, they lean more into his comedic value. Um, but some of his dialogue in the past has just been so elegant and clever um, and really wonderful to yeah. watch Peter Dinklage work with, so I'm hoping we get more of that.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, kind of to that note, how do we feel about putting him with Davos and Vera's? I kind of like that dynamic. Um, I,
1: I love his relationship. Um, I think they're just like, they're the funnest like, peas in a pod to watch um, play off each other, um, especially um, Davos and Tyrion coming from such different backgrounds and perspectives on things, but in a lot of ways agreeing with each other and meeting in the middle. And there's a lot of yeah comedic value to that, but I think they can be really productive in terms of the narrative as well.
0: Yeah. Um speaking of which, and we can kind of get into this later, but uh the suggestion that kind of arises out of their conversation together in this episode is maybe Don and Jan maybe uh Don and Jenny Don and Jenny? Like
1: yeah, Don and Jenny. Um
0: John and Danny um should just get married. Um and we can kind of get into that a little bit later, um, with uh the Aladdin moment. But um yeah, it'll be
1: yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting thing to kind of feel like it's not just the fans talking about that relationship. The characters see it, and they're trying to leverage it to the advantage of um, winding up on the Iron Throne, which was a, a fun moment for fans to watch. I will add, um, while we're on the subject of Baris, is that if you tuned in last week, you will know that I firmly believe that Baris is a merman. Um, there was nothing in this episode that contradicted that belief. Um, my evidence, as you probably know, is very compelling. Um, it's just that he crossed an ocean really fast. Wait,
0: and... so you didn't see the post credit scene where Varys jumps into the sea and, like, swims to Essos?
1: Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to have to go back and find that. <laughs> <it. laughs> uh, but stay tuned. I will update you once I feel that. I can no longer keep up this theory, but I think it's gonna last.
0: This is going to be the through line for this podcast and we're sticking with it.
1: Yeah, we really like it, Varys is a merman, um, we can talk about it.
0: (laughs) All right, Um, anyway, speaking of sea things, at King's Landing, Euron returns from Essos with the Golden Company led by uh, another Harry, Harry Strickland, Um, and then Euron consummates his relationship with Cersei.
1: Yeah, I do feel the need to publicly apologize. I watched this episode with Harry, and Harry Strickland appears on screen, and someone goes, well, what's that guy's name? And I go, oh, it's some guy with this stupid white dumb name. (laughs) Um, I think it's, like, James or something. And then Harry did reveal to me that the character's name is Harry Strickland. So I do apologize for um, thinking your name is lame. Um.
0: I... uh On the air, accept your apology, um, <laughs> and this is a shiny example of how apologies and politeness should work in society. <laughs> um, if only Westeros were more like this podcast, is basically what we're saying. Um, anyway, in any case, uh, we have some feelings on this horrible, horrible match made in hell uh, between Euron and Cersei. Uh, We have Insane Pirate and uh, Terrible, Awful Monarch um, who honestly kind of deserve each other but also seeing them uh, together is um, we were watching it with our uh, we were watching with some friends and I believe I don't remember who but one of them was like, I need a shower this is is terrible. (laughs) Um, But anyway, it's interesting to note because uh, Lena Headey who plays Cersei in the show told EW in an interview recently um, that she wasn't super on board with um, Cersei and Euron are consummating their relationship. She said, I kept saying she wouldn't, she wouldn't, that she would keep fighting. Uh, and Hedy, er, Lena Headey tells EW, um, she goes on and says, but showrunners David Benioff and Dan Weiss obviously know what they're doing and were adamant that Cersei would do what she had to do. I don't know,
1: I'm kind of with Lena Headey on this one.
0: Yeah, I honestly don't think Cersei would do it. No. Um, unless she's trying to pass off her uh baby well potential baby we don't know if it's a real thing um as um her child with euron but yeah i think there was that line where she says if you want a queen you have to earn her um and that we in the moment that kind of felt like such a like powerful way to cap it off um and just kind of tell euron to go away um that it felt a little bit weird uh when they actually got together I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, I'm in the camp of people who don't think the baby is real. Um, I think it was a either a ploy to trick Tyrion, or somehow Tyrion is in fact working with Cersei in ways that we don't understand yet. But I don't know. I think it's kind of suspicious. Um, in which case, the Euron thing seems so pointless. But yeah, I mean, maybe I've got it figured all wrong.
0: Well, who knows? Um... But it does seem like they're kind of gesturing towards something there. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and yeah, other another thing of note: were elephants. Cersei really wanted some Cersei elephants.
1: Cersei really wants the elephants. I don't blame her, honestly. I just think it was the most bizarre subplot that could have come up in this episode. Um, yeah, I have no idea what to do with that. I think
0: one of the funniest lines in this, in like this episode that wasn't supposed to be funny was, I think it was Harry Strickland that was like, "Yeah, elephants." don't do super well on the water, Cersei. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) which I, I think Cersei would know that, um, being her, but who knows? Um, this could be a case of Chekhov's war elephants where, uh, you set it up in the beginning and then later on somehow the elephants made their way across the water. Um, could be a Dumbo thing where they just fly. Maybe they're also mermen. Who knows?
1: They might also be mermen, um, I I would support that. I think all characters can potentially be murdered on the show. Um, But ultimately, yeah, it's moments like that where we kind of see that maybe Cersei doesn't have as much foresight as we would expect for a character who has survived and been in power for this long, um, which is something that we kind of get into with our next um, event that happens in the episode, which is when Kyber, on Cersei's orders, bribes Bronn to kill Tyrion and Jaime.
0: So... A couple things on this. Um, One, it does feel like this is another example of um, Cersei the character, or maybe also just the show not really being able to give Cersei um, the kind of edge that we might assume that she has. But this doesn't feel like the smartest thing to do, just because we know that Bronn is super loyal to Jaime. Um, We know that he's pretty loyal to Tyrion as well. So, even though Cersei kind of gets to at Bronn's kind of, like, external motivation of, I want, like, a castle, um, I do feel that should Bronn go to the north to supposedly kill Jaime or Tyrion, or and Tyrion, um, I don't think Cersei's going to get what she wants.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And it was something that we talked about in the context of just kind of we miss the political strategy intrigued aspect of the show. And we kind of feel like if that has died in favor of logistical maneuvering, as you put it. Um, And I think that's a fair issue that the show has struggled with as it grows in scale. Um, And it's interesting that in the most intense war um, that we've seen on the show is kind of when the weakest strategy is coming into play. Mm -hmm. But they do seem to be putting a lot of that um, well, intelligence and cleverness back onto Sansa, which will be interesting to see how a different character works within that kind of yeah. system.
0: Yeah, and worth noting too that, you know, this could just be, like as we said, logistical kind of maneuvering on the show's part to put Braun in the Battle of Winterfell uh, in time for episode three. Um, so. Who knows? Maybe... Harry
1: thinks Braun's going to die, and I won't hear it. I will not have it. I love Braun.
0: <laughs> Look, I do too. Um, He's, he's a solid, well, I was going to say he was a solid dude. Is anyone in Westeros a solid? He's
1: really not. Uh, he's not, like, a great guy, but he's just, I want him to, like, get what he wants. He's been, like, working so hard just to get his, like, stupid little castle.
0: He'll he'll arrive at Winterfell. Someone will tell him, hey, that's your castle. And then the Night King will do like a flyby on Viserion and then You're just so like cool. take out Bron.
1: You could be like on the Game of Thrones writing staff. Cause...
0: HBO, I'm, I'm free. <laughs> um, hire me, please. English major, please. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, sorry, Bron. Um, but yeah, moving right along. Speaking of people who uh, probably should die oh, soon, I with <laughs> just for, uh, just because. Uh, Theon rescues Yara, who sets out to reclaim the Iron Islands. Theon returns to the North to help fight against the army of the dead.
1: I will note that Harry's whole note in our outline of this podcast literally just says, this was bad. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, the Daily Cal uh, has a great arts department. <laughs> we are very strong art critics. Um, and that is my take.
1: <laughs> it was bad. It was just such a stupid thing that no one needed. Like, it was kind of like what we're talking about with maneuvering. It was just a way to get Theon back up toward the battle with the Army of the Dead, um, which I don't need. I don't need him there. He's not going to contribute anything. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I'm over it. I was talking with Harry about whether I'd rather see Theon dead or not, and it's kind of conflicting, because if he's going to die at the end of this season, well, I'll shake my fists and be like, if you were going to kill him off, he should have just done it earlier. Um, but also, if he survives, I'll be annoyed, because he... I don't know how
0: he did that. Uh, What is dead may never die. Um, Yeah, I do feel conflicted about how the show handles the Yara rescue. Because, I mean, just logistically, Euron goes to Cersei. And in that time, Theon sneaks aboard and frees Yara. It's very easy. Um, So easy a Theon could do it. Yeah,
1: literally. Um,
0: And, you know, I feel conflicted. Because at once, you're like, oh, well... All right, whatever show. Um, But on the other hand, it's kind of like, well, if you drag this out, we're just going to get irritated because, like, it's dragging it out um, way too long. So I think the main takeaway here is Theon should probably just die by episode three. Um, Theon should
1: bite it. Um, That being said, we love Yara. um, And we really hope that Yara makes it back um, to the Iron Islands and is able to reclaim it. Um, That would be sick. We love Yara.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think if my memory serves me right, Yara is going back to the Iron Islands to have like a stronghold of some place where the dead yes. can't reach. Yeah. Yeah. So that seems like a very str- good strategic move. Yeah, of, one just, of the few. <laughs> I mean, if, if they lose the battle of Winterfell, which seems pretty likely to me, um, just based on, uh, internet chatter, um, the Iron Islands could serve as like, you know, uh, a place to re- like regroup yeah. and, um, recover. Um, maybe it's because Endgame comes out in a week, but I'm thinking of the Iron Islands as Hawkeye's farm, where people (laughs) go to, like, catch their breath.
1: Very similar. Um, But yeah, speaking of Winterfell, um, back at Winterfell, Jon reunites with Bran and Arya in tear-jerking, beautiful forehead-kissing moments, um, and he learns to ride Rhaegal with Daenerys' encouragement.
0: I think the biggest takeaway from this episode is I really want to give Kit Harington a hug with, like, the fur coat on.
1: Oh my god. I would do anything for Kay Harrington to kiss my forehead with his eyes closed like that. Like, I just want to be that important. Um, (laughs) It's so cute.
0: Would you rather have, like, a forehead, like, kiss or, like, Ian Glenn to, like, stare into your eyes and, like, say Khaleesi?
1: For those of you that don't know this, I'm obsessed with Ian Glenn and Jara Mormont. um, And I'm probably the only one who is (laughs) like that. Um, So this question is really challenging for me. Um... I might have to take Ian Glenn on this one I just feel Ooh. like I've really been in that camp for a long time and but I do have a Jon Snow pillowcase so he's definitely a present love interest in my life as well
0: um, I I mean
1: well, what do you have to choose
0: um that, that was a cruel <laughs> cruel question for me um so I'm
1: like the anti-Daenerys we're like <laughs> neither like I would have nothing with either of them um yeah that's kind of who i am i guess in the game of thrones
0: world interesting <laughs> speaking of danny i know you have some thoughts on well i mean let's talk about Aryans. um like that reunion yeah. moment first um kind of similar to my theon note the one note that i have on Arya and john's reunion is good um yeah it was a it was, really well done. Yeah, it yeah, was a
1: reunion that we've waited forever for. Um, we were so excited to see, and it really paid off to see those two characters reunite. Um, the disagreement that Harry is alluding to, however, is during that scene, um, in the quote I mentioned earlier, John feels that Sansa acts like she knows everything um, and kind of being critical and distrustful of Daenerys. Um, and Arya defends Sansa and says, Sansa's the smartest person um, that I've ever met, and she's the one protecting our family. Um, And so essentially she takes Sansa's side over Jon's, which Harry thinks is good, according to his super detailed and thoughtful notes. Um, And I think it was not good.
0: (laughs) I think all I'm saying is that in the Battle of the Bastards, Jon was, like, gonna die, straight up gonna die, and Sansa comes in with the Knights of the Vale. Um, So for that reason, I understand Arya's rationale. Um, but yeah.
1: yeah. I think Arya's right. I think just from a character standpoint, um, the Jon and Arya relationship is so um, important and so beautiful. Um, growing up together and being the only two that really supported and loved each other. Um, her betraying that, and, and I guess it's a function of also they really haven't seen each other in a long time. And they've both kind of gone on very different paths. But... Seeing her betray that in favor of a sister, which historically she hasn't gone along with too well, um, just seemed a little surprising to me and something that I was, I wouldn't say disappointed because in a way I kind of feel like, yeah, she's right. Sansa's making a lot of the right calls here. But something that I, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right to me.
0: That's fair. Um, Song of Ice and Fire right here, folks. Um, <laughs> I, I loved that. Uh, I, loved, I did love that. Arya takes that needle and that uh, they kind of have that moment of like yes, this is the thing that connects us and maybe the thing that'll save us both in the wow. battle to come. Um, should we move on to uh, How to Train Your Dragon?
1: Uh, yes, we, we loved this sneak peek of How to Train Your Dragon 4 <laughs> that took place during this episode. Um, no, but seriously it was indulgent and fun and stupid but also everything that I've like ever wanted um, fun fact so I can't complain
0: Kit Harrington does voice a character in how to train your dragon two three and now four
1: which literally sounds like the equivalent of Daniel Radcliffe playing a magician and now you see me too like it's the same joke um, but it's a good joke <laughs> uh,
0: you're on an improv team so that <laughs> comes from the highest authority um, so yeah, it, something worth noting. Uh, this comes from an interview um, from IndieWire. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's the visual effects um, supervisor for the show, but uh, it is confirmed. Um, that John will be riding on Rhaegal more in the season. Um, this is the quote from IndieWire. It's a little bit more of a roller coaster and it doesn't have the purpose other than to get John comfortable with being on the dragon, which he later on will need to be. Uh, so that pretty much confirms that John is going to be riding around on Regal, um to some capacity uh, in the rest of the season, which um, fans have wanted. Yeah, um, I'm super
1: excited. Um... Kit Harington did not have a great experience his first time on this dragon. This other quote um, from the the behind-the-scenes footage where he talks about riding a green-screen dragon robot, um, which is a really cool phrase to get to say. Um, He reads, um, My right ball got trapped, and I didn't have time to say stop. Say stop. And I was being swung around in my head. Imagine me reading this with a Scottish accent, by the way. I am, yeah. Um, In my head, I thought, this is how it ends, on this buck swinging me around by my testicles, literally. Um, Yeah, I wish I could have been there for that.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Um, I guess I'm imagining, like, a bucking bronco in, like, a dive bar in the middle of nowhere... Well, obviously, in like England, uh, where I'm yeah. assuming they film the show. Um, and just Kit Harrington in a fur coat, looking like Jon Snow, having the worst day of his life.
1: Yeah, now that you've said that, if anyone knows of a Game of Thrones-themed dive bar that I can go to, um, please let us know, because I would love to make it out there.
0: I We have a bucket list going of things we need to do before we graduate, um, and we would put that on there faster than Ferris Swims. swims from one end of Westeros to the other. <laughs> um, so yeah, it is it is a silly scene. Um yeah. it is kind of
1: Do you think it's romantic? Do you think they've got chemistry?
0: I think you said it when we were watching this, but that's that's my ideal date. Um and I agree. Um yeah, there is there is another NDY article that's like the Jon Snow and Daenerys romance isn't good because Kit Harrington and Emily Clark don't have chemistry. Um
1: I kind of agree. At least compared to his chemistry with Rose Leslie, um, when she was playing Yeagrid at the time, it definitely doesn't feel yeah as sexy.
0: I mean Kit Harrington is married to Rose yeah. Leslie. So the chemistry there is gonna be better than him with Amelia Clark. But that being said
1: He's an actor.
0: It it didn't It didn't bother me. Um maybe I'm just Maybe I'm just really bad at critiquing acting. Who knows? Yeah.
1: Uh, you're, I honestly didn't really notice it until um, you brought it up in the notes. So I can't, I can't say that I thought of it. But that is an I opinion that it?
0: exists on the internet.
1: Yeah, and I support you all who share that opinion.
0: Um, speaking of opinions, people have opinions on Arya and Gendry. Oh.
1: Uh,
0: this next line is um, Arya asks Gendry to forge a weapon for her. Um, And she also reunites with the Hound.
1: What is the weapon? We want to know. (laughs) There is
0: a really interesting video put out by Nerdist um, that speculates that the weapon that she uh, presents Gendry with a schematic with um, looks a lot like a staff that she fights with in Mm -hmm. um, one of the season 8 trailers that HBO put out. And uh, they posit in this video this really interesting thing. we're both big fans of Daredevil, uh, yes. the Netflix Marvel show, um, and they propose that it's kind of like a detachable billy club, where yeah. on one end you have um, dragon glass, like a spear tip yes. that you can detach into a dagger, which we know Ari is great with, and then the kind of bottom end of this like detachable staff billy club thing is mm. Valyrian's deal.
1: Which would be so sick. Um, the one thing the video does point out is whether they have Valyrian steel and whether Genry can work with it. Um, in which case, yeah, that might pose a challenge. But it would be really satisfying to see some Valyrian steel make it out there yeah. um, that we haven't seen before.
0: Yeah. And I believe there was um, there was an interview. I can't remember where this is from, but... Um, there was an interview with uh, one of the prop masters, and uh, I believe the prop master said that yeah, there's gonna like this awesome like prop that we got to build. Yeah. Um, so probably is Arya's weapon, um, which will be really interesting to see her use because she's more of like a stealth kind yeah. of um, assassin rather than like a battlefield uh, warrior. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how she kind of uses those skills um, in the Battle of Winterfell
1: did you think of her re- her reunion with the hound did you like it <laughs> it wasn't good i
0: guess it went the way i thought it would go um yeah. i mean yeah aria left him to die she robbed him first um and the hound i can i wouldn't be super happy to see the person that left me for dead yeah. <laughs> but also like um i saw a meme um i think it was via collider um, it's like the way Ron Swanson was just kind of like, like
1: yeah. stoically
0: nod <laughs> his head me, like. in approval, um, and that's the vibe that I got. So,
1: yeah, yeah. no, that's like that's a good way to put it. I'm I'm like happy that that little reunion happened. I'm not a big fan of the Hound. Um, I just don't find him to be the most compelling character. But I am interested to see where his arc ends. Everyone wants him yeah. to fight the Mountain, which fair I think it would yeah. be pretty
0: sick. <laughs> he's um he's got that dragonglass axe now, courtesy of yeah. Gendry. So, um, it be interesting to see how he uses it. What if the mountain becomes, like, oh, a white or, like, whatever, and then, like, he has to fight that'd be in that so way. that
1: so sick. I'd love that. That'd okay. be awesome. That's my new favorite theory. Second to the merman theory.
0: Hey. <laughs> uh, all right, then, moving right along. You want to cover this one?
1: Yeah, so, after all that happens, Sam, um, Sam Tarly learns that Daenerys executed his father and brother. Then tells John that he is Aegon Targaryen, the rightful king of the Seven Kingdoms.
0: Yeah, Big I deal. mean, Sam has a lot to do in this episode, um, and I remember in like our little watch party, um, we see like Sam's back, and then Daenerys kind of coming toward him, and then it was just like this, oh no, like
1: yeah,
0: um, this dread, and uh, yeah, yeah. Danny admits. uh, killing Sam's family.
1: Yeah, it was pretty cringeworthy. We definitely really feel for Sam in that scene, and it'll be interesting to see how he processes that information and acts on it, and whether he'll maybe make an out-of-character move and betray um, Danny and, by extension, John.
0: Yeah, one thing that I really liked um, about the way this episode handled the John parentage reveal to John um, is that Sam... He decides, like, his delivery of that information is coming from an emotional place. It's like, yeah, Danny, like, murdered my father and my brother. um, And this is a reflection of who she is. um, Mm -hmm. And that kind of informs his decision to tell John that uh, he is the rightful heir to the Seven Kingdoms. um, And Sam is like, could you be a better, like, ruler than her? Um, I believe the line was, Uh, you gave up uh, your power to save other people, and would she do the same? Um, So that seems like a really really terrible time for Jon. Um, You know, he had the high with the dragons, and now he's uh, literally down low in the crypts. Um,
1: An interesting theory that that line reminds me of is, so, it's implied that Daenerys would not give up her crown or the Iron Throne for anything, but some of you think that she would give it up for her dragons and potentially... um, if Rhaegal and Drogon um, are lost, that she may choose to um, become a White Walker or the Night Queen, and so that she can be reunited with Viserion, um, her last remaining dragon, um, which I think is a super compelling and depressing way for Danny to go out. But a lot of Amelia Clark's interviews have talked about how she um, regrets that we're going to be left with kind of a bad taste in our mouth um, in terms of who Danny is ultimately in the end. And what kind of choices she's making in this final season? So, it wouldn't—I wouldn't put it past her to potentially make a decision um, that throws it all away for one of her dragons.
0: Yeah, um, that kind of really just gets gets at the heart of uh, her title, Mother of Dragons, um, and it'll be heart wrenching to see that kind of become literalized uh, in such yeah. a way that um, is leverage for that like emotional gut punch to that happen. Um, Please don't. I just, (laughs) I want these people to be happy. Uh, Speaking of happiness, um, (laughs) shall we move on? Let's move on. All right. Tormund and Beric, who survived the destruction of the wall. That's the happiness I was talking about. That's the happy part. Um, They encounter Ed and several other Night's Watch members at House Umber's castle. The Umber occupants have been killed by the army of the dead, and the Night King has left a message.
1: In this exact moment, the four friends that we were all watching with, we all collectively screamed. Um, There
0: was, um, like, that shot of, um, I believe it was Tormund who had his back to, um...
1: The dead Lord Umber.
0: Yeah, we should clarify that this message is, uh, little tiny Ned Umber, like, stuck to a wall, Mm -hmm. um, dead, um, with, like, severed limbs kind of forming this, um... It's
1: like a, call it? It, it's meant to look like the symbol that um, represents the children of the forest on the show. It's sort of a spiral thingy. Um, yeah, point I don't is how to describe it.
0: It looks terrible. So yeah. Torment has his back to it. Um, and kind of it's a uh shallow depth of field so you can really only see Torment's face clearly and the background's a little bit blurred. And then it's this like moment straight out of hereditary where like uh dead Ned Umber, like, his eyes open and in that moment, like we all screamed, um, yeah. and I don't know if it was me screaming, or if it was Ned Umber screaming, or if it was Tormund screaming, people are screaming.
1: Yeah, this, this scene um, just represents a lot of like the Game of Thrones that I love, just this really terrifying, horrible um, fantasy content that really stays with you, um, and so I was a big fan of how it all went down, um, even though it was really violent. <laughs>
0: Wow, Shannon. Um,
1: I know. I feel like I'm coming off really bad shit on this podcast, but
0: Game of Thrones is pretty bad shit. <laughs> um, I mean the the closest analog is the death of Shireen. Um, yeah. Another awful, awful ironically moment.
1: that's actually my favorite moment in the whole series.
0: It's a good Melisandre moment. Yeah, Melisandre's
1: yeah. my favorite character. Um, in that moment is I think the the define it's the defining moment of her character I think, and it's such an important. Um, sequence and I was disappointed with Stannis died because the Stannis plotline was my favorite um, and I was rooting for him even though he's awful um, but no yeah like you said this is a really good um, reminder of how violent and horrible Game of Thrones can be sometimes.
0: Yeah it kind of goes back to the, the opening sequence where we mm-hmm. see that the wall has fallen on the kind of um, animated map of Westeros um, and it's just a reminder that they're here. Winner yeah. is here. Um, the Night King has left a message and it's really kind of striking because we see in this moment that the Night King and the White Walkers, we see a little bit of their, um, I guess you'd call it like sadism. Yeah. Um, they're kind of, uh, it's, it's a taunt. Um, mm-hmm. I'm reminded of that moment at the end of Battle of Hardhome when, um, the Night King, um, like looking down at John, like, Raising his arms and that moment was described as a verbal "fuck you," mm-hmm. um, and this is very much uh, or a non-verbal "fuck you," and like this moment is like yeah. an extension of that. Yeah. Um, worth noting in the behind-the-scenes kind of video at the end of the episode, um, they show how they um, did the scene practically um, with um, a stunt double, obviously, um, you know, on on the wall um, being lit on fire, um, and they had this fire resistant um, face mask that's supposed to look like net umber and I gotta say the face mask is terrifying um it's like just stuff of nightmares truly the okay. stuff of nightmares even before it's lit on fire um truly truly horrible imagery um yeah pretty good behind the scenes uh pretty good behind the scenes content would recommend it
1: yeah everyone should definitely check out the behind the scenes footage um, and then moving on to the final scene. Of the episode, um, the one that inspired the most memes, the one that is kind of the pinnacle of all the parallels we've seen this episode is when the following morning, Jamie arrives at Winterfell and is recognized by Bran and they share this very knowing look that the scene lingers on and then fades the black and the episode ends.
0: Yeah, um, obviously. In that moment, Jamie is like, oh god, that's the kid that I pushed out the window, um, alive. And who I mean, who knows what Bran's thinking? He's probably yeah. I, Would you be surprised if Bran saw this coming and decided to wheel to that exact oh, spot yeah. and oh, just yeah. wait a couple days? Um, I fully believe that. I that's <laughs> that's why I like Bran, you know? Uh people don't like him. I like him, and it's for that reason.
1: I am I'm so looking forward to seeing how Jamie's um, presence in Winterfell plays out. Yeah. Um, also, because he played it, he's the Kingslayer, and we kind of forgot about that aspect yeah. of his character yeah. and what that will mean when he meets Daenerys.
0: In the kind of um, sneak preview of the next episode, uh, we see Jamie Lannister in, in you know in the Great Hall facing the uh, facing the Starks and facing. Uh, Danny and Danny says, you know, when I was a kid, like we would talk about the Mad King, or yeah. we would, talk about the Kingslayer uh, who killed Ares Targaryen and what we would do to him. Yeah. Um, so
1: I'm so excited. <laughs> uh,
0: for the sake of uh, our desire to see him reunited with Brienne, hopefully nothing happens. Hopefully. Um, but yes, next uh, Sunday's episode is going to be super tense. Um, when everyone realizes that the Kingslayer is yeah. Yeah. in Winterfell.
1: Well, what's just such a satisfying nod to the fans to end the episode on Jamie and Bran the same way that the very first episode of the show ended on those same two characters. Um, yeah. Very different circumstances, but just exactly that, a reminder of how far we've come. Yeah. Um, and I like to think of it as um, a bit of a thank you to the fans who have stayed around for that long and been present and can understand the importance and the meaning of that look that they share.
0: Yeah, stayed around that long, been thoroughly depressed. Yeah, uh, (laughs) really been through this long. Terrible, terrible (laughs) things. Um, Almost makes me wonder, like, do we think that the last episode of season eight is gonna in some way mirror the...
1: Season one finale? Yeah,
0: with Daenerys emerging unburnt.
1: That would be so sick.
0: What if instead of it's unburnt, it's like unfrozen? spit Mm -hmm. on here i don't know
1: i'd like that um no yeah that um it will be interesting to see how the show keeps up um the parallels or maybe even discards that idea um in favor of advancing the narrative but yeah i'm looking forward to it i love a good parallel
0: um just to wrap things up here anything that we should kind of get to uh last thoughts on the episode
1: really i thought it was short um maybe it was just like i understood all the episodes that to be a little bit longer this season but when it wrapped up and the credits started rolling i was like wait yeah i mean <laughs> to more? be fair
0: i could just watch like wholesome reunions oh yeah for like another hour for an entire season yeah um just to kind of undo uh, is the... there
1: any reunion left that you would really want to see
0: uh we didn't get to see jorah get shredded by liana mormont mm,
1: yeah, um, i'm still waiting to see that. that
0: yeah um yeah, I think that's the one that I was looking forward to that didn't happen. Yeah. Um Liana did get her moment though, which is pretty cool.
1: I she always has every she steals the scene every time that she shows up, and I'm I'm a huge fan of her character. Yeah,
0: maybe next episode. Um that being said, uh this has been the Daily Californians coverage of Game of Thrones.
1: Yes. Um we will be back with more talk about Game of Thrones. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you have any Flaming hot theories of your own that you want us to talk about, um, please tweet at Daily Cal Arts. Find us on Facebook. Um, Yeah, you know where to find us.
0: Yeah, pick up a paper. um, And thanks for listening.
1: All right. Thank you, guys.